Well, it's good to see you today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor, and we're so glad you're here to worship with us today. It's a beautiful day uh, this summer, and I know a lot of you have been traveling to a vacation. We've got a lot of folks out, so whenever you're here, we're glad to see you. We're in a series this summer, uh, First Peter, and it's about being a believer in a non-believing culture because we have to realize we live at a time uh, where our culture is becoming more and more hostile towards Christianity. Not all of it, not every part of it, but there are pockets and segments, and we just see this growing uh, tendency for the world we live in, the culture we have, to be antagonistic towards people who are truly trying to live out their faith. And the thing that we have seen through all this is this, that being a believer in a non-believing culture requires a commitment to Jesus that surpasses anyone's commitment to anything else and any person who's not a follower of Christ. So we have to know that, that our commitment has to surpass the commitment of any person who's not a follower of Jesus. And whatever their commitment may be. So that's what's expected of us. And so far in 1 Peter, we've seen in the first chapter, uh, we've seen a lot of encouragement by Peter. You know, we're, we're chosen by God. We, uh, in, in our faith, when we see hostility and the suffering we may face, uh, that is a way that reveals our faith. It reveals it in suffering. We have seen that we are uh, truly called to live a holy life. And so these are encouraging us, but we also need to see the practical side of it. We need in our life to have a call, an understanding of how we do things. And one of the things about what Peter writes and whenever Paul writes, John, James, there is almost always a practical side of things. There's the doctrinal, the theological, but there's always that practical side. And we see that uh, today and where we come in chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. And we see that we're to live by examples. That's the, the practical aspect of our faith. And so here we go. Uh, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. In honor of the king. So this morning I'm going to come and ask you a very simple question that we're going to attempt to answer. How does a follower of Christ act in and toward a culture that is hostile to believers? If you're a follower of Christ, how do you act in a culture and toward a culture that is hostile to those who are believers? And so, you know, we come to this uh, passage today, we understand there's a couple of things that always kind of override everything else. That we, we must fall under two fundamental principles as followers of Jesus. One is... That we seek to honor God in everything we do. I talk about this, we preach this all the time. Honor God in everything. And the second fundamental principle is that it is our task and our responsibility to try to help people come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to reach people for Jesus. This is how we live our lives. And so that kind of oversees everything that we do and how we live as followers of Christ. And when we come to this passage today... Uh, early in chapter 2, it's fairly well-known part of chapter 2 in Peter, is that we are you know, a royal priesthood, a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a people of God's own choosing. That's who we are. That serves as an encouragement and a foundation for what follows, because now Peter is going to give a general statement 
in verse 11 and 12, and then come for a while through a series of specific ways that we can live as followers of Christ. We're focusing on one of those uh, today. Now, every, every time we come to First Peter and I preach from this passage, I want to remind us, because some people are here for the first time and hearing this service, uh, hearing this series, that no one had a greater sense of authority or authenticity than Peter. I mean, Peter was the closest person there was to Jesus. And just look through the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, Peter was there with Jesus through it all. Peter was the early leader of the church, you know, in the early stages in the book of Acts. He was the primary guy. And so Peter, Peter has this authority that he can speak to us. He also has an authenticity because Peter dealt with hostility. Early on in the book of Acts, the people that even put Jesus to death told Peter to quit preaching about Jesus, and Jesus boldly looked at them and said, I must obey God and not you. I obey God, not men. So, I mean, this is, this is Peter. He's this bold guy. And so because he has an authority and an authenticity that is real, Peter can influence us in what he has to say. And he's writing this book to a group of people right before 64 AD who live primarily in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey, and they have experienced, they have They've had to deal with uh, persecution. They have had to deal with different things. It has always been there, but Rome, the Roman government, has not yet begun to persecute Christians. They would do it shortly after he writes this letter. Nero began a persecution of people of faith. That would end up putting Peter and Paul to death. So this is a guy who writes, and what he writes is important, and he influences us. And he understands the pressure that a culture can put on us and try to get us to move away from Christ. And so here's the thing. When, a culture, when the culture is hostile to people uh, like us, it is our nature. It is our nature to either surrender or give in to the pressure or to strike back against the culture. It is our nature to either give in to pressure or somehow we want to strike out towards the culture. In other words, we either want to surrender and give in and go back to the old way of doing things or we want to be hostile back to the culture. It's kind of human nature. So Peter, in chapter 2, verse 11, says, I'm urging you, I'm imploring you, I'm, I want you to get this, to understand this, brothers. He's talking to followers of Christ. You are aliens, strangers, you're foreigners to, to where you live. Now, when he says they're aliens and strangers, it goes back to what he said at kind of in verse 1, he talked about this. Most of the people he writes to are, are Gentile believers, They're from, their hometown is where they live. That's where they're from. And at some point in their life, they became followers of Christ. But once you become a follower of Christ, this culture, the culture you came from, is no longer your culture. You belong to a new kingdom, to a new world. You're followers of Jesus. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. So we live, even in the culture we grew up in, we live somewhat as aliens, strangers, foreigners now. We don't belong there. And so he says to them, I don't want you to surrender to the culture or act with hostility. So he says this, I want you to abstain, abstain from the fleshly lust or the sinful desires that war within your soul. The word abstain means to hold back, keep away from them. Now, here's the thing, just because they had become followers of Christ didn't mean they didn't have a tendency to be pulled toward the old way of life, those lusts that wage war within you. Peter, in calling them fleshly lusts, he's, he's thinking about the Gentile background. He's, he's using his Jewish background in the way that they looked at Gentiles. Now, we need to understand that just because you become a follower of Christ, you don't leave behind all the kind of DNA and the social stuff and all the way that you were raised. I mean, it's still part of who you are. And so, you know, I, I, mean, I, I'm, you know, I was 
grew up a Baptist. I was a Baptist before I became a Christian. You know, I gave my life to Jesus at nine, but I was a Baptist way before that. I've always been a Baptist, and I'm from South Texas, and that stays with me wherever I go. That never leaves. So Peter being Jewish would never leave. He would look at the Gentile lifestyle and see is it a godless, rebellious, sinful, immoral lifestyle. And he says, don't surrender and give back into that because there is the pressure that hostility puts upon us. What our culture puts on us is to go back and adopt their way of life, to go back and live that way. And so he says, don't surrender to the culture. But on the other hand, he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. On the flip side is, you can't become hostile to them. You, instead, you have to live in such a way as that your behavior, the way you live your life, is seen as exceptional. And then he even talks about it. He says because the, the slander and the accusations, depending on your version you have, that they slander you and accuse you of being evil or to being people who do what is wrong. And so the Gentiles would look at the, these new Gentile believers who left their culture to become part of a new culture. And they would begin to slander them, accuse them of wrongdoing. We know both from Scripture and from other sources, the things that, that the Christians were accused of doing in this first century, it's amazing. They were, they were accused of disrupting the social order. They were accused of cannibalism, of incest, of rebelling or treason against the government, of destroying the economic system that lived back then, and on and on. They were accused of many things. So Peter says, do this. Don't live your life in such an excellent way that when they accuse you of these things, at some point, they will see your behavior. They will see the way you live, and they will glorify God. In other words, instead of lashing out against them, instead of being hostile back, live your life in such a way that honors God. And eventually, it says, they will come to a point where they will glorify God. Now, the point he says that they will come to glorify God is on the day of visitation. Now, that idea of visitation can mean really one of two things. It can mean, and going back to the Old Testament times, when God visits in judgment. And that's a tendency to think that God's going to judge them, which he will. But it's strange in the context to think that when God is judging them, they will praise God for the behavior of the other people that they were, they were slandering. I realize that at some point, Paul writes that in Philippians, at some point, everyone will bow down and glorify the Lord. But that doesn't seem to be what Peter's talking about. So the other way of visitation can be taken is to mean visitation, the God, visitation of God in mercy, of his forgiveness. And so what he seems to be saying is there's going to come a time, just like you gave your life to Christ, some of these people who are hostile to you now, some of these people who are vindictive towards you now, may, because they observe the way you live your life, come to a place that they trust Christ to be their Savior. In doing that, they will look back on how you live as examples, and they will praise God that by you doing that, they became a follower of Jesus. And so what he's saying is, don't surrender to the culture, but don't attack the culture back. But live your life in a way that honors God. In doing so, people may come to faith, and they too then will honor God because of what you did. This is the encouragement that he gives to them. This is the general encouragement that then kind of oversees the next, basically, chapter or so, chapter and a half. He then gives what he would call, we would call a command in verse 13. He says, submit. Now, in verse 13, verse 18, and in chapter 3, verse 1, he says to submit. And he begins to talk about the social order. 
because it was important that Christians maintain social order in their effort to bring people to Christ. So he talks about here, you know, submitting to the authorities in verse 18 for slaves to submit to their masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, for wives to submit to husbands. I know that's always a fun subject, right? And, and I want, I'm not going to get caught up in all that. But, it, you know, the, the idea of submission was common in that culture because everybody submitted to somebody. Everybody was submissive either to the, the Roman government. You know, there was that in family life. You know, wives, they had no choice. They, they were already submitting to their husbands and, and, and slaves to masters. I, I dealt with this subject about submission back when I dealt with marriage back in May. In the very last uh, week of, my, that, uh, that, of May in that sermon, uh, out of Colossians, I dealt and I talked about what it meant for wives submitting to your husbands. And I'm going to say, it was, I did a really good job. My wife said it was probably the finest message she ever heard on marriage uh, in her life. And I said, thank you, honey. I appreciate that. I hope you enjoy your new car also. And, uh, <laughs> and all of that stuff. But, you know, if you don't want to do that, in, January, in July, July 26th, I'm doing from 6.30 to 10 o'clock a whole study of First uh, Peter, and I'll discuss all this. Every, submission was a common thing. Everybody submitted. So it wasn't anything new. What was new was our motives. Paul and Peter both talk about submitting in the motives for, and here Peter gives the rationale. Submit for the Lord's sake. In other words, because of your relationship with the Lord, because of your relationship with Jesus, see, our submission is now based on our commitment to Christ, not the culture, but Christ. So he says, submit then to every human institution or authority. In other words, submit to the government. That's what he's talking about. So let me just talk about that a little bit because we have a lot of misunderstandings about what that means. In the book of Matthew, and all, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three of those, but in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus is just you know, a few days away from the cross. And the religious leaders are trying to find some way to get Jesus. And so they come up to him and say, say do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? It was a trap. And Jesus basically said, just bring me a coin. They brought him a coin. And he said, whose picture is on the coin? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said this. It's a fundamental principle that we live by. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. In other words, there are certain things that belong to God alone. But certain things that God lets Caesar do. Get paid taxes is one of them. So give to Caesar what is Caesar. Now that, that kind of words of Jesus governs everything we understand about dealing with the government. Now, here's the thing. Our government today, what we deal with today, is fundamentally different than what they dealt with back in Jesus, Paul, and Peter's day. In the day of Peter, the emperor, Caesar, was in absolute control. Now, I know in the Roman system they had a senate, and they had the you know, proletarian guard, and I realize there's laws and all that, but here's the bottom line. If Caesar wanted to kill you, Caesar killed you. Period. In the story. He was the, he was the authority. And in that, also, understand that anybody that ruled under Caesar had that same kind of authority. And, and so, we don't live with that. We don't have a Caesar. There is no elected official that's the equivalent of anything in the Roman system. We try to make it out to be, but it's not. Why? Because we elect people that serve in government. The people that serve in government, understand this, they are not our authorities. They are our servants. We put them there. We can bring them back out. Our system is based differently. We elect people. We elect school boards. We elect uh, community college boards. We elect the municipal government, the county government, the, the state government. We elect the federal government. We elect the legislative branch, the executive branch, part of the judicial branch. We have votes on taxes, on bonds, on referendums. We have all those things. Our system is different. Our authority that governs us is not in a man. 
the governing authority for us is found in a document we call the Constitution. It's a little civics lesson to go with the message today. That document describes a system that we are to follow, which is government. Our Caesar is not a person. Our Caesar is a system founded on a document. It's different. So what we give to Caesar, what is theirs, we're giving to a system that is in place, that has people that we elect, and so we respect and all that. But it's not the same thing. And that's important to realize. Because they lived under the absolute authority of a man who could put them to death. We don't. And so he says, here's what you do. I want you to submit yourself to human institutions. In our case, it's our system of government. Why? Because it's the will of God. That's what he says. Peter says, this is God's will. Government matters. Because even a bad government is better than no government. You realize that, right? We're better off having bad government than no government. So even a government that can be hostile to you, and we have no idea what that's like compared to back in their day, even a government that is hostile to you is better than no government at all. So submit to the authority that is to government. And he says, in doing this, he says, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. If you go back to what we said in verse 11 and 12, when it was talking about there were people who would accuse them of every kind of evil. He's saying here, that is the foolishness of ignorance. You will silence them when they observe you. So that when they accuse you of things that they accuse them of, they could go back and say, well, no, wait, wait, wait. I know this family. I know this man. I know this woman. I know this Christ follower. They're not like that at all. I have seen their life. What you're accusing them of is wrong. He said, whether it's the emperor or whether it's the governor, they're there, he says. So that they can punish evildoers and praise those who do right. In other words, they're there to put a system in place. In Roman times, they put a system in place. In our times, the system is put in place by a document. And so we obey, we give, and we submit to that system with one condition. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we give to God what is God's. So here's the thing. Follow the law as long as it doesn't prohibit you from honoring God and reaching people for Jesus. That's it. There may be a lot of laws you don't like. I get you. There are a lot of them I don't like. I don't like most of those tax laws. I can tell you right now. From practical experience, I don't think I'm fond of a lot of traffic laws either. But here's the thing. They're there to us to follow. Now, if at some point our system is hostile to us, then we put God above the system. But we live in a system different than them because what we can do, and there's a baker in Colorado, and there's a florist, I think, in Washington, Oregon. I mean, there are people that are experiencing a government hostility. We can go, and we can hire attorneys, and we can go to a court system, and eventually, if possible, go all the way to the Supreme Court in our system. So we have a different system to work in. But here's the thing. Paul, Peter, is trying to get to them and help them understand that in a culture that is hostile, reacting against that culture isn't a solution. The solution is because of who God is, in this particular case, towards a government that may be hostile, is to still submit to that government as long as it doesn't keep you from honoring God, which is most important, or reaching people for Jesus. And we need to understand that. So here's a practical way to help us. And then he goes and talks about a responsibility. And what happens in verse 16 and 17 sheds light on this. He says, you are free. 
You are free men, free women. You have a freedom in Christ. This world doesn't own us. We are not bound to this world. We're not obligated to this world. At our death, this world has no claim on us. We are free, but do not use your freedom, your freedom in Christ. And Paul says the same thing in his letters. As a covering or as an excuse for evil. In other words, don't, take this, don't say, I'm free in Jesus. And because I'm free in Jesus, I can rebel against the system. No. He says, don't do that. That's evil. You're using your freedom as an excuse to do something that doesn't honor God. Instead, he says, you are bond slaves to God. You and I are slaves of God, bond slaves. Some of your versions have servant, but the term doulos, servant isn't strong enough. God is our absolute master. He is our Lord. And what has God told us to do? Well, first of all, above all else, honor him and bring people to Jesus. But then God tells us here through Peter, look, when you're in a system that's hostile, in a culture that's hostile, do not surrender to the, cost, uh, the culture, but do not, do not strike back at the culture either. And when the government is hostile, understand the government's there because of the will of God, and you need to submit to it as long as it doesn't keep you from doing what I called you to do. And so in verse 17, he kind of sums it all up with four really quick, hard-hitting imperatives, commands. He says this, Honor the brotherhood, excuse me, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. He goes from the broad to the specific. In other words, in this hostile culture, you need to just respect, honor the people in that culture. Jesus says, love your enemies. It's part of it. John and Paul, all about love. And and Peter's not denying that. He's just saying, in this culture that's hostile to you, here's the practicality. Show respect for the people in that culture. I mean, they're they're creating an image of God. You may not like them. I understand. Yay. If someone's hostile to me, I don't like them, right? I don't want to be their friend, but I need to honor them because Christ has told me through, through, through Peter. Then he says, love the brotherhood. We have to love one another. Because we're the ones experiencing hostility. We can't be at odds with each other. Now, we don't always have to agree upon everything. I realize sometimes you don't agree with me. Listen, I don't always agree with you. I know sometimes you probably say, oh, that preacher and you at lunch, you probably say things about me. I get that because there are times as a staff we talk about you too, you know? We just did. Staff meeting every, morning, every Tuesday at 9 o'clock from 9.45 to, I think, about uh, 2.20. We talk about you in that kind of time. You know? So, I mean, I get that. Listen. But we love one another. We love each other. And then it says, and this is amazing. It says, and fear God. Fear doesn't mean be afraid of, but it means to honor God in such a way that you're in awe of him. You're in reverence of him. You so love God. You so worship God that when God tells you to do something, you're going to do it. And what does God tell you to do? He tells you to submit to the human institutions that are over you. Because that's his will. And then he says this. And then you can honor or respect the king. In our case, we don't have a king. We can honor and respect the system that we have. Even when it's hostile to us. And instead of lashing out in hostility, and instead of surrendering to it, What we need to do is influence it by our honoring of God, obeying him, and helping people come to Jesus. Here's the thing. As Christians, we have the opportunity and the calling to influence our culture by the way we respond to it. If you respond to your culture by surrendering, you will never influence it. But if you respond to your culture by hostility, you will never influence it either. You want to influence your system, culture, understand this. Elections don't change cultures, by the way. I don't know how to tell you. It just doesn't. People change cultures. 
so influence people. Here's the thing. If you go look at the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament, it never tells us how to change a culture. It tells us how to help change people. And those people are followers of Christ. That's what we want to see. So here's the thing. Engage the people who make up a culture that's hostile. Do not embrace the values of a hostile culture. You engage the people of a hostile culture, but you never embrace, you never accept their values. John chapter 4, Jesus is leaving the area of Jerusalem, going up to Galilee. And they, you know, the shortest route is to take him through Samaria, and the Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Jews and Samaritans just don't get along. And normally the Jews would go around it, but Jesus said, ah, we're just going straight through. And they get into Samaria, and he says, I'm hungry. That stops. Sends the apostles to get some food. And he's, he's waiting at this well, and there's this woman there, this Samaritan woman, who is so, such an outcast in her own culture that nobody is with her. And so Jesus engages her in a conversation. And in this engaging her, and they have a conversation, he says, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I'm not really married. He said, I know you're not married. You've had five husbands, and you're living with the guy now. Now, he's not condemning her. But you know what else he's not doing? He's not embracing that lifestyle. He's not saying, but that's okay. You're, you're an adult. You can live however you want. He doesn't do that. Then they start talking about worship. And Jesus just says this. Listen, your worship is wrong. You worship in ignorance. Your worship is incorrect. He's, he's not condemning the woman. He's just saying, you're not right. No, he doesn't say, you know what? We're all just after the same thing. We're all just trying to get to God our own way. No, he says the way you worship is wrong. He engages this woman. He loves this woman. He has compassion on this woman. He never embraces her values. And when the story is over, the woman becomes a follower of Christ and goes and gets her culture, her community, and they come, and many of them become followers of Jesus. Why? Because he engaged them, but he never embraced what they believed. Peter writes this letter. Shortly after it, Nero decides to start persecuting Christians. And Peter dies and Paul dies. And for 260 years, the official policy of the Roman government is to kill Christians, period. 260 years later, there's a guy named Constantine, and he becomes emperor. And he has a mama who's a father of Christ. And he basically kind of says, you know what, I'm going to be a father of Jesus. And in part, it's because he looked at the culture around him, at the Roman world, and realized that more and more Romans had become followers of Jesus than anything else. You see, in 260 years, Christianity just grew and grew and grew. They didn't grow because they shrunk back and surrendered to the hostility or because they reacted against it. They grew because they engaged the culture they lived in as followers of Christ. 1949, Mao Zedong became the communist dictator of China, and he drove all the Christian American missionaries out. And the fear was that that struggling Christian groups that were in China would die off because China began to persecute Christians. In the 70s, China opened up its doors to allow the Western world back in. And when we got there, the church went in and and they began to discover that the church in China, despite being persecuted, just grew and grew and grew. In fact, we are told, and I've shared this with you before, that by 2030, there'll be more Christians living in China than any other country in the world, including America. And China still persecutes Christians. Why? Because they engaged a hostile culture and never embraced it. So here's the thing. 2,000 years of history reveals one lasting truth. A hostile culture 
never defeats a movement of people who are followers of Christ. Understand, historically, hostile culture, a culture that is hostile to the Christian faith, never defeats, it never defeats a movement of people who are followers of Jesus. Why? Because when you're a follower of Christ, what hostility does is it forces you to live as examples. It forces you to realize that you cannot surrender to that culture, but nor can you strike back at them. Instead, what it forces us to realize is that we got to live our lives in such a way as we honor God that we engage the culture around us. We don't embrace it. We engage it. And engaging that culture, they see our faith. They see how we live our life. And they become fathers of Jesus as well. You see, what we have to do is influence this culture around us that's hostile. Even to the limits of the government that it's hostile. And we don't influence it by surrendering or attacking. But by living the way God has called us to live. I know some of you today face some hostility. We've talked about it. could be it's your family life and it could be it's your workplace. And, and you may be thinking, it's, it's, just, it's going to be easier if I just give in. If I just go back to living like the culture wants me to live. And Peter would say, don't do that. Don't surrender. That's not the solution. And so maybe today you just want to come and say, you know, I want to pray with someone to help me. And when we, we have our invitation time, there'll be some men and women up here. And maybe you just want to come and say, can I, can I pray with you? Would you pray with me to help me not to surrender to a hostile culture? Some of you, you're probably like me. You, you want to strike back. That's what you want to do. That's what I want to do. And maybe you need to pray either where you are or come here and pray and say, help, help me not to strike back at a culture. But instead, help me do this. Help me to love them and engage them. And some of you today, what you need to do is ask God to help you engage a culture that is hostile. You have to ask God, help me deal with that culture so that I can honor you and reach people for Christ. So that may be the thing for your life. Some of you have people you love and you know they're struggling, so you want us to pray for them. And all the time we pray with people for the ones they love, and we'll do that. Some of you, what you really need to do today is you need to give your life to Christ. You need to become a part of our culture. And and this is a strange interpretation, but why don't you become a part of the culture that's experiencing the hostility? Come and let Jesus change your life. So I don't know what it is that God wants to do. I mean, I, I can't tell you, but I do know this thing for sure. That if you're a follower of Jesus, what God wants in this culture that's growing increasingly more hostile towards us is you to walk out of here today with this commitment. I am going to live as an example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. So Lord, we come to you today in a world that's increasingly more difficult to live in as a follower of Jesus. Knowing we're not part of this world. We're just here, but we belong somewhere else. With that in mind, Father, help us to deal with the hostility, not by surrender or attacking. But help us, Lord, to live the way you called us to live. Give us the power and the strength that you provide. And so, God, if we need to today, pray where we are and in the places where we're sitting as we stand. We can pray there. Or if people want to come and pray with us, let them come pray with us. But, Father, help us pray. And seek ways to live as an example. And help us as a community of believers live in that movement of following Christ. And resist the hostility of this culture. Not by surrendering or attacking. But resist it, Father, by living as examples. So give us the strength today. Give us the ability that comes from Jesus Christ. 
and you speak to us in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front to greet you if you want to come.